I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Anthony Pizzo. And we love to watch. We love to watch the only time Aaron has ever been called a gentleman. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss may be grand, but it won't pay the rental on your humble flat or help you at the automat. Men grow cold as girls grow old, and we all lose our charms in the end. But square cut or pear shape, these rocks don't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. <laughs> hey Peter, I thought Daddy was gonna be worked into there somewhere. <laughs> oh. Daddy has not been worked in, and that's all Daddy cannot wait to listen to this episode. <laughs> that is uh the grossest <laughs> sentence I've ever said, by the way. Yeah, I think we'll be calling each other daddies quite a lot during this episode. <laughs> I had seen this movie before, forgot about that part. <laughs> there's 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 two modes for this movie. Before I even say what the movie for me is, it's either I'm enjoying this and I am deeply uncomfortable. Those <laughs> <laughs> are the only two cages. But yeah, it, uh, welcome Anthony, welcome Peter, who is always here. Uh, it is our our first week of our third incarnation of Musical May. This time it's Musical May three. Uh, classic musicals for thee. Uh, so we're, we're doing classic musicals. The first, to kind of recap, if you weren't around for our first couple uh, musical maze, the reason that we did this was uh, going into the show was Peter hates musicals, Aaron likes musicals. Uh, and so our first time we did this, we were going to do a month of musicals, and we tried to do it with uh, musicals that neither of us had seen, and that was kind of a middling success. And then we decided, hey... Why don't we pick some good musicals that everyone can agree with, both Peter and Aaron? Uh, and so we did that last year, and that was a smashing success. We did stuff like The Lure and Tokyo Tribe and Little House of Horrors and uh, really a lot of fun. And in that time frame, Peter started watching some musicals like Chicago and some other stuff on his off time. <gasps> and, he, and he would start messaging me going like, hey, I think I kind of like musicals. Suck a so, so, based on that, we decided, like, let's go back to, like, when people think musicals, let's go back to some considered classic ones and really try to get, like, one of each. I would have loved to do just, like, Singing in the Rain and It's Always Fair Weather and some of that kind of stuff. Uh, but we really wanted to kind of take a few different versions of, like, the classic 30s to 60 musical. So, we're starting with uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Uh, we are going to then do uh, next week. It's fuck. What's next week? West Side Story is in there. I don't think that's <laughs> next week. Uh, yeah, West Side Story. Definitely. Oh, Singing in the Rain is actually next week. The one I just said moments ago. <laughs> the one, the one you've mentioned like twenty times. The one I mentioned twenty times. And then we're ending it with uh, Top Hat, which is again I would have been fine doing four Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire movies, but we're doing Top Hat, and then also doing kind of a uh, as a as a double episode, Pennies from Heaven, which is kind of a modern, not revisionist take, but maybe more realistic take of 30s and 40s era depression musicals uh, as kind of a bookend to that. So, yeah, so that's what we're doing this month. We're kicking it off with Anthony and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, a Marilyn Monroe Howard Hawks 
musical from 1953 based on uh, a Broadway musical that came out four years earlier. Now, this is actually the one that I didn't see when I was younger that we're doing this month. Uh, I only saw it a few years ago thanks to people recommending it in The Dissolve. Uh, and Anthony, why don't you introduce yourself? If you have not uh, have not heard Anthony's previous wonderful appearances, why don't you let our audience know who you are and why you wanted to talk about Gentlemen Prefer Blondes? Uh, well, my name is Anthony Pizzo. I'm a frequent uh, commenter on The Dissolve. That's where I know these two from. Uh, I draw a lot. I'll save that for the plugs, though. Uh, and I'm doing this episode because I just read the novella and its sequel that the musical was based on. And the sequel's called, uh, is it? But Bar- Gentlemen Ma- Mary Burnett. But Gentlemen Mary Burnett's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting split between the two books. So, I don't know if you know this, the the genesis of the whole thing is basically Anita Luce, like was a writer. She was hanging out with all these writers. And H.L. Uh, Mencken, uh, who was one of the great literary wits at the time. One of the famous Mencken's. Yes, one of the famous Top Mencken's. Top five Mencken's. <laughs> uh, basically, he, he was dating this this blonde bubblehead that uh, Anita Luce was like, yeah, sure, you talk a game and then uh, – so she basically – she started as a short story just to like – just to ri- rib him. Like – Say fuck she, you, Mencken. Yeah, she she sort of wrote it and sent it to him. And it's like, hey, jackass, this is what you are. <laughs> uh, and he loved it so much that he insisted that she publish it. Uh, and it got no, he put it in a, a diff, he basically got it published in another magazine because he was publishing one at the time. And I guess even he thought just like publishing a story, making fun of him, uh, in his own magazine was a step too far, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it caught on. It became wildly successful and she started writing installment follow-ups. So this was serialized, like, you know, like the old Dickens, uh, novels. And so the first one, gentlemen, gentlemen prefer blondes. It's very lighthearted in tone. Uh, it, it's a lot of just sort of like gentle ribbing. It, it's a lot like the movie. Uh, and then, but Gentleman Mary Brunette's is a lot more cynical and, and a lot like there's a lot more bite to it. Uh, Interesting. And, well, and with, it follows the story of Dorothy. Uh, and it's okay. ba- it's basically uh, uh, Meryl, what's Marilyn Monroe's character's name again? Uh, Lorelai. Lila. Lorelai. Lorelai. Lorelai is basically like in the book, Lorelai's bored. Uh, because she married a guy, they, they, he had a lot of money, they made a go up making a movie, there was a whole thing with, like, censorship, and basically the movie, like, collapsed on itself. She had a baby, and now she's bored, because she married this guy who's a total drip. And so she decides she's going to take up writing, and she decides that she's going to write uh, Dorothy's story. Dorothy, like, it's a, sh- it's like, it's shockingly, like, horrifying, because, <laughs> <laughs> like, she's just growing up under the constant threat of, like, sexual assault and predatory men. And there's a brilliant part where she's sent away to a a reform school. And all the other girls basically, like, are calling her a slut from day one. And she, you know, she hasn't actually done anything, but she gets fed up and just snaps back at them one day. And she goes to the principal's office or whatever the equivalent is – and he says, have you learned your lesson? And she says, uh, or like, do you not know like what, what the tenets of, uh, of Christianity are? And she says, that's right. Do whatever you want as long as you don't say you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, and good. then like, yeah. And, and it just sort of goes from there where like then she like 
winds up with this circus and there's this guy who's basically like a truancy detective and he's looking to like have sex with her and he's leveraging that like he's leveraging her truancy against that and it's really like deeply fucked up and hilarious it's weird that every published book in the 50s uh everyone knows the Hayes code that applied to movies but there was there was actually the Ringley code that applied to books that everyone needed to have a circus in there <laughs> well, here's the thing. The book's from, like, the 30s. Oh, why did I not know that? I know. I guess I suppose that makes sense because the music yeah, was produced uh, in 49. Yeah. Yeah, because the, 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 the Gentleman for Blondes is from the 20s. And then uh, – but Gentleman Mary Brunette is from, like, the 30s. That's interesting. I am a little surprised because – this movie feels racy for the 50s. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's oh, a yeah. Sex, it's a straight-up sex comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. a sex comedy with no actual sex, but it's, it's a sex comedy. But it gets close. It is, it is like, yeah. it is like uh, implied American pie. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. There's like – and like it's one of those movies where there's no – there's no. it's not really couched in romance, really. No, they're, no they're, they're, like it's, it's – it's a movie that I believe is, like, firmly aromantic. Yeah. Like, it seems like a rom-com because everybody gets, It ends with a big, like, almost the end of Star Wars level ceremony. <laughs> like, like I expect to see Chewie in the background, like... Just, Getting snubbed you know, again. Always a bridesmaid, you know? And... Rip P. or Mayhew. <laughs> the entire movie feels, like, sort of flippantly funly cynical in a sort of lighthearted way. Mm-hmm. But, like, that has to come home to roost at some point, either within yeah. the author's world or within – because, like, <laughs> it's it's kind of fun to watch a movie about women that genuinely, like, don't care about – they don't care about a lot of the traditional aspects of love and they seem to be sexually liberated and the movie doesn't seem to be stepping on them for that. No, and and both of them define – like, they both use the term love. They Mm -hmm. both say that they're in love, and then they both kind of define what that means. Like, for Lorelai, love is having someone with a lot of money who will do whatever he's told. Mm-hmm. Like that that is love. Uh and then security. For- Someone who's who's easily suppressed and yeah. and uh can provide security and so that she can have fun. And- yeah, because how can you have fun if you're worried about money all the time? Which like, would she- seem offensive if the movie wasn't also teasing Lorelai for being a gold digger at every turn. <laughs> well that and then Dorothy is like, I am just so annoyed about money, so my version of love is just a you know, a tall, good-looking drink of water who I'm attracted to and I can have fun with. And, like, that is my version of love. And both of those are very acceptable to, like, you know, everyone's version of love is defined differently. But that is – you're right that it's not the typical, like, especially in 50s Hollywood version of love. Like, they they never really get starry-eyed and are like, actually, I don't care about money or I don't care about good looks. Well, something I find – Oh, go ahead. Something I find fascinating is, you know, if you – like, th- this movie has two, like, concurrent stories going on, Dorothy's and yeah. Lorelai's. And what I find fascinating about Lorelai's is the climax of her story isn't the guy coming back to her. It's not the wedding. It's the scene where she reveals to the dad that she is a shark yeah, who knows what she's doing, and she earns his respect for yeah. that. 
I play dumb because that's what – like I say daddy, I say all this stuff because that's what your son wants. But actually, I'm I'm not even after his money. I'm after your money, which he's going to get. So that's what I've been doing. Like, and he's great. just so impressed by that honesty and that like, look, I'm a, I'm a hardcore capitalist, man. I'm going to get that yeah. money. He's like, wow. okay, game recognized game. It is like a it is like a last second reversal that reminds me of like the the famous last ending of, of some like it hot where Jack mm-hmm. Lemmon's yeah. like but I'm a man he's like well nobody's perfect and uh, it reminds me of, of that last ending where it's like this this weird sort of um, almost like a sweetness at characters accepting each other for what they are mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't end on someone getting like oh, 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 and being like carted off to the asylum or whatever the fuck would end <laughs> these movies would end. <laughs> <laughs> it ends with him being like well i can't deny you who you are which is a a pretty uh a pretty fun way to end a movie like this that could easily have turned a corner and become very offensive in the last 20 minutes uh the the, the fact that they actually do marry the guys and don't just kind of build them out of money for a while is is like kind of unsatisfying to me but that's we'll get into that yeah well and i and i do think it's so some of the stuff that's like deeply uncomfortable and like the way that like it's portraying lorelei in the early stuff about the the daddy stuff and all this other thing like it it kind of makes that stuff go down a little easier and in, in some ways you're almost looking at a uh proto uh phantom thread where like the wholeness <laughs> of their relationship together isn't really revealed to the end where like his thing is he wants like these baby talking people who are dependent on him and she wants she does that like she acquiesces to that like to what his thing is that he's interested in so that she can you know find a kind of a a, a nerdy doofus with a lot of money that she can push around like they they have like a relationship that is built on something that isn't typically depicted as like true love but like you know they're puzzle pieces like just like in phantom thread they (laughs) both had something the other one needed uh yeah that's the same thing here but I want to say we have a lot of plot discussion. We have a lot of movie discussion. One thing I want to do this uh, month before we, we get into that, and I say we slip into that right right after this. But Peter, normally we save overall thoughts for the end of this. You mentioned that you've basically never seen any of these movies, or if you've seen them, they were so long ago. And you're I was such a, a I was a kid. You were a baby. You were a kid. You didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> All right, don't lock me up, Judge. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I've gotten swella. Wait, um, what's that I'm, from? I'm going to grow up and be a good fella. That's just what Peter said. Uh, it's not from anything that I'm aware of except Peter's diaries that I have stolen when I went out and visited him. Um, so, uh, and you've also turned around a little bit on musical. So I, I do want to get from the get-go. What, what were your thoughts on this movie? I had a lot of fun with it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the gender dynamics are, can be a little uh, hard to suss out because, like, there's a modern reading of them, and then there's a of the era reading. And of the era reading is pretty regressive and backwards, but there's a modern reading of it that's just, like, about two women who are kind of striking out on their own. They're supporting each other. They, they kind of tease each other, but ultimately they're, like, really good friends. And, yeah. and like, it, I felt like it was kind of, like, sweet and touching in a way that the first 10, 15 minutes did not make me feel like uh, I was going to get there at all. Yeah. One thing I also find really interesting about this, and I don't know 
I guess it's kind of accurate about Top Hat and maybe even Singing in the Rain. Although I would say Singing in the Rain more as an eye of like of of being more show tuney uh, in its music. Same with West Side Story. I do find it interesting that in this, even though this is a hundred percent a musical, it does feel like the music that we're listening to is like supposed to be pop music for its time. Like, yeah. it's kind of like when we did It's a Wonderful Life and we're like, oh, yeah, all the kids are just going home singing Buffalo Gals, won't you come out tonight? Because, like, have we ever figured well, out what then, the fuck a Buffalo Gal is? Yeah, because black people haven't invented rock and roll for white people to steal <laughs> yet. So, yeah. uh, but, and, and so much of it is diegetic. Yeah. Like, it's or either it's- a club performance or somebody, like, brings out a gramophone or, like, somebody just starts, like, playing an instrument on the street. Like, the music is always coming from somewhere. It, and even yeah, and even when they are like everyone starts joining in and they have these kind of musical numbers, they're almost like um, the same equivalent of a musical number on the stage just happening in, in like the actual scene mm-hmm. because it's you know it's still uh, Dorothy or Lorelai being the main singers with chorus and other actors and stuff like that, which is essentially their stage show as well. So if anything, it's almost like people just start participating in a non-existent stage show. So it, it does have that weird thing of like, it's not quite like uh, Hedwig and the angry inch or something like that, where like most of the songs are essentially being performed in in front of people, but it's like 50% that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's very funny to, it's very funny to approach something like this. And being like, like, oh, this is uh, this doesn't this sounds like it's uh, music of its era. It doesn't sound quite like a musical. It doesn't sound quite like a musical because like part of the fun of musicals is how they kind of wrangle with their past and their present. And that every musical has kind of done that to some degree. And some of them are very clearly trying to like pull from musical history and make it sound like what they what the the that the particular songwriter the particular composer thinks musicals sound like because it was whatever yeah. musicals sounded like when they were a kid and, and then it, it is like a weird nostalgia cycle sometimes because like they're basing what they think a classical music cycle is off of stuff that was written when they were kids, so they're you know in the 1960s for a lot of these guys or the 50s, and then and then uh, those people were like trying to wrangle with like oh well I want to make a classic musical like a 1930s musical, but also I need to make it sound like you know we got a radio hit in here. So like it, it, it and uh, even fucking Little Shop of Horrors was like pulling off doo wop. Oh yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, Phil Spector era stuff. Uh, the Motown era stuff, but it was also trying to pull from a very specific musical era, which is like the 1960s musicals. Like it- very much so, to the point that even all the dialogue is incredibly like unnaturalistic and affected. Like it's actually we haven't we haven't recorded our West Side Story episode, but while I was watching West Side Story, I'm like, and we'll save it for the episode about whether you enjoyed it or not, Peter, because I know you also already watched it. I am like, man, this is just an incredibly affected like dialogue voices and i'm like yeah but like that's how it is in little shop of horrors too like that kind of like over the top aw shucks like meant for the stage where you are trying to be as big as possible so i i am very curious and i'll, I'll save the surprise for everyone about whether like that 
something that I know for a fact works for you in Little Shop of Horrors, but is one of the things that well before we started doing these months that you were like, this is why I fucking hate musicals. I'm interested after all this time if that ended up working for you or not in West Side Story. But the one thing that Gentlemen Prefer Blondes has uh, over West Side Story and a lot of the big classical musicals is uh, is uh, runtime. It's like an 80 something minute movie. <laughs> it's yeah. It's like it's like 91 minutes, which is very nice. I have never I watched, finished. I watched it on a plane today. Yeah, I have. I've never finished a lot of the, like the true classic era musicals because I'm like I'm not watching a two and a half hour musical. I'm sorry. Like Sound of Music is the longest movie of all time. <laughs> Do you guys want to start talking more about how to marry a millionaire? Oh wait, that's the next <laughs> Marilyn Monroe movie that actually describes this one way better, but. Uh, <laughs> Gentlemen prefer blondes. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Let's, yeah, I guess so. Let's talk about if we prefer blondes. As gentlemen. <laughs> Honey, you'll hurt yourself. Can't play tennis, my golf's a menace I just can't do the Australian crawl And I'm no better at volleyball Ain't there anyone here for love? Sweet love, ain't there anyone here for love? I'm apathetic and non-athletic can't keep up in a marathon I need some shoulder to lean upon And a couple of arms to hold me Ain't there anyone here for love? You know, right before we cut to the musical break <laughs> I was I was like, this, the net, I said, hold on I said it could be called How to Marry a Millionaire Because mm-hmm. it really feels like if you were to show someone this movie and go, hey, what is this movie called? And they just look through Marilyn Monroe's filmography, it feels like they would go, oh, it's definitely How to Marry a Millionaire. Uh, now, I haven't seen How to Marry a Millionaire, but I am a little unclear in the context of this movie. And maybe, Anthony, the book shed some light on it. Like, the gentlemen prefer blondes. It doesn't feel like it applies to this movie. Like, I, like it, it kind of, like... Again, it's it's sort of like it goes back to her basically calling all men like surface level like horny bastards. Sure, <laughs> I'm just saying like if you didn't know about the origins of the book, because like it's not like Lorelai has men throwing themselves at her and like Dorothy is just always like you know always second fiddle. Like <laughs> plenty of men are attracted to to Dorothy and pursuing her. Right, but I I think like, I, I think within like the text of the movie that comes from the sort of like enlightened attitude that that Lorelai is trying to affect like where, where she's trying to be an intellectual because like you know she she's sort of like she always tr- she's trying to have an answer for everything and like trying to like say things that make sense and sound smart and whatnot and so it's but like always sort of relating to like very crass things and so I, I think gentlemen prefer blondes is her her way of like men just like me <laughs> you know you know what I mean yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I guess I think a more accurate title would be gentlemen prefer attractive showgirls of all hair colors. 
yeah. So, uh, Peter, let's just say you're alternate taglines. I'm alternate taglines? Sure, me? why not? Me? me? You say me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kid, you're going to be a star, see? <laughs> we get uh, a lot of 30s and 40s and 50s accents. <laughs> just wait till we get to the West Side Story episode talking about New York City. <laughs> Meet a man who has a billion dollars and still lets people call him Piggy. <laughs> he doesn't uh, have a million dollars, though, right? He has a diamond mine. See, I, but then he has diamonds the on the soles of his mine. No, okay, hold on. That was one weird clarifying point that I'm not sure. I thought some of it was that he was faking having a diamond mine. No, he no, he had, he had it. it. That's where he ran back to at the end of the movie instead of answering for his his uh, tiara gifting. So what what the fuck was that thing then in the uh, the airport or whatever it was where he sees him and he's like, hey. He's like, oh, that's not me. My name is actually Alfred. He's like, no, you're not. You're the guy from the boat. Well, because oh, yeah, he, no, he didn't want to be implicated in the affair. But it took one sentence for him to. Look, it doesn't matter. Have a, okay. Anyways. <laughs> Like, the, the, this, that trial at the end isn't Inherit the Wind. <laughs> they they literally take the take the diamond tiara from him, give it to the judge, and then give it back to him. Really? And I have judge- a note here that says it's basically a better version of Judgment at Nuremberg. But okay, <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> Howard Hawks made this. Artist. Serious artist Howard Hawks. Had a happier ending, though, than Judgment in Nuremberg. <laughs> Are you saying watching German Swing was not a good ending for you? I mean, it's not like it's not like the ending of Judgment in Nuremberg wasn't happy comparatively to everything they've been through. But after three hours, you're just kind of left with the horror yeah. more than anything. Hey, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I do records to see how early we can break Anthony on each appearance. Is this like the, the first time we the earliest we broke him? No, I think his next appearance that we've already recorded is pretty early. Um, uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, the first time he was on, it took to the end of the episode to break him, and now, like uh, now, it just feels like we've broken him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, what is your alternate tagline? <laughs> <laughs> Why won't anyone fuck a beautiful woman? <laughs> oh. Well, gentlemen prefer blondes and not to fuck them. <laughs> gentlemen just prefer to sexually harass brunettes. Yeah. Uh, They're not yes. really serious about it. That's the only type of interaction in this movie, Peter. <laughs> it is not from every man. Every man in the movie is like, hey. <laughs> Anyone who has a line, except, like, the most non-sexual harassing is the Olympic team. Yeah, who who are very focused on their craft. Very focused on the craft. There is an eight-year-old who uh, sexually harasses them. (laughs) He's got some good points, though. (laughs) (laughs) Not the sexual harassment stuff. But he, you know, he's got some wisdom to some of his words. Uh, The little kid is admittedly fucking hilarious. Yeah. That's a great gag, too. But anyway, so, uh, Lorelai, Dorothy are uh, showgirls, uh, and they uh, they sing songs, and Lorelai has a boyfriend called uh, Nerdlinger, I believe is his Christian name, mm-hmm. uh, and he gives her presents, got engaged to 
her. She calls him daddy anytime she gives him a present uh, because it's the whole Phantom Thread thing because we'll just say that from the beginning so it feels less weird. Um, and they're going off to Paris to get married because the dad is against it. He's against it because he thinks Lorelai only wants his his son's money. So they ship Lorelai and Dorothy off to Paris first with a, with a, ch- a check a line of credit, and then they're going to meet up with her, her later to get married. Uh, Dorothy's supposed to be the chaperone. They do this on the cruise ship. On this cruise ship, uh, a few things happen. One, there is uh, an uh, nerdlinger's dad uh, hired a uh, P.I. to spy on Lorelai to make sure to get evidence that she is not to be trusted. They, they both have a really good trustworthy thing where, like, they say goodbye by going, like, no, don't you cheat on me. Well, don't you cheat on me. No, you're the one that's going to cheat on me. I think you're the one that's going to cheat on me. It's definitely uh, going to be Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> yeah, I think on the whole. I mean, have you seen the other guy? <laughs> Nerdlinger, yeah. Yeah. It is very, like, two 18-year-olds about to go off to different colleges. Yeah, like, they're both going to cheat on each other, settle down. Uh, yeah, turkey fever, baby. Uh, <laughs> what? So, they... Gobble, gobble. I, I didn't get it either. What is that? Uh, uh, turkey fever is an expression for a couple that goes away to college and then breaks up by Thanksgiving. No, it's not. Oh. That is not a phrase. It well, is. You, you have made that up. I had turkey fever. Gobble, gobble. No, n- no, go- no. I also had swine flu. <laughs> <laughs> that I believe. <laughs> no, I didn't actually. A girl on my floor was quarantined for having swine flu, though. <laughs> <laughs> These are the wild college stories that people are tuning in for. <laughs> Sounds like you were just a bad dude, am I that? I mean, you grew a mohawk and punched people on the street in 16-bit graphics. That was the goal. Yeah. Yeah. You're uh, a bad dude. I was, uh, was a rude dude with a bad dude. Uh, rude dudes didn't have a video game, but that would have been a good sequel to Bad Dudes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if they're rude? Actually, now? it's more of a prequel. I feel like oh, you're yeah. rude before you're bad, right? Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Rude Boys is about ska fighters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so they're on the ship. Uh, meanwhile, there's the relay Olympic team that has, I believe, uh, 87 members because it's the <laughs> longest Olympic relay in history. Uh, what if we have 18 alternates for each person? Great. Put them on the ship. Uh, but it's a lot of people. And Dorothy's like, oh, thank you so much for bringing this Olympic team on with me. So she flirts with them a lot. Uh, meanwhile, Lorelai meets uh, what the fuck's his name? Profe- oh, it's Piggy. Piggy. <laughs> Piggy. Who owns a diamond mind uh, and is kind of flirting with her and, sh- and Lorelai kind of wants this tiara after she learns what a tiara is. <laughs> but that was probably a facade based on what we find out at the ending. So uh, she kind of eventually gets the tiara uh, from from uh, Piggy's wife. And, is this secretly uh, a heist movie? Secretly, yes. <laughs> secretly a heist movie. Yeah, secretly. Um, <laughs> Meanwhile, the P.I. gets evidence of this, that they try to drug him and steal. Very funny sequence. They finally get to Paris. They find out their line of credit is cut off because Nerdlinger's dad found the evidence from the P.I. So they end up just starting a show in Paris, and that seems to actually be going really, really well. They have even bigger stage production and and, uh, extras and everything else than they did back in America. Uh, But the cops are like, give us that tiara. So they try to solve that by doing some kind of bullshit uh, where Dorothy wears a wig and pretends to be Lorelai in court while Lorelai disappears for a little bit. 
Not quite sure what her plan was. Well, her plan her plan was to to make sure that the dad, like to to basically like say, I know who you are. You know what I am. Yeah, the yeah, dad that, respects her and daddy's relationship. Other, yeah, but that happens at, anyways. The, daddy has a dad also. <laughs> Here's a fun fact: daddies come from daddies. What? Almost exclusively. Oh no. <laughs> I you can't crunch these numbers. When <laughs> was the first daddy? daddy? <laughs> oh, the first daddy was Jesus Christ. <laughs> Whoa, I guess I'm a Christian. <laughs> Gotta have a first daddy. Now, you may be like going, actually, you idiots, it was God. But but fun fact, Jesus and God are the same person. So, there's actually God and Jesus. And they made Adam the, the second daddy. Yeah, but, Adam, on, uh, but Adam comes <laughs> Adam is chronologically before Jesus. Yeah, but no, but Jesus and God are the same person. Try to keep up with the Trinity. Right, but Jesus was the reboot. No, Jesus was <laughs> that, that was like look, the same like, person. Ba- Batman number one comes after Batman number one, you know? Peter, can you please explain the divinity of the Trinity to him? <laughs> no, I, I'm too busy uh, going to our website and adding t-shirts that have a picture of Jesus with sunglasses and it says original daddy. <laughs> Okay. Is that a, so Jesus, is that a website you've made with Squarespace.com? <laughs> yeah, what's that I made with Squarespace.com? Do you want to tell people that you know who the original daddy is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Where you put so the original daddy was Jesus Christ. <laughs> Second daddy was Adam of uh, of Bethlehem. Wait, wait, of Eden. Adam of Eden. I feel like we're le- we're leaving out the whole Jewish pantheon here. What are you talking about? Adam was Jewish? Yes. Adam was daddy number two. Daddy number three. <laughs> I don't was, think Adam uh, was Jewish, was he? Was, well, I no, mean, he was like, just a they, guy. Hadn't, they hadn't done that one. Yeah, but he but, was but he was technically like before like that, but you know, I think he got like Daddy was, number three was Cain who killed daddy number four, Abel. Yeah. And that was the first daddy that was the first example of daddy on daddy violence. <laughs> And then one daddy finally rose up and said, let my daddies go. (laughs) No. And then uh, the Pharaoh said, no, daddies don't go, go. He's like, oh, I'm going to kill future daddies. The first future daddy. Unless unless there's like goat blood on your door. It has to be daddy goats. If you put daddy goat blood on your door, then your your future daddies won't get murdered by this angel daddy. Oh, big angel daddy. Wait, when does when does oh, the Holy Spirit daddy. come into it? Uh, and then let's not forget about, of course, when the little daddy slew the big daddy. Uh, and it wasn't Adam Sandler. It was another big daddy. He took a slingshot. He went, boo! And he went, oh, the daddy's dead. We lost a good daddy today. We lost, our we lost some good daddies out there. We lost our big, thick daddy. (laughs) So that is the retelling of the Bible according to Lorelai. Yeah, you can skip skip the Old Testament altogether. Well, we just did it for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, There's also Daddy in the Walls of Jericho. (laughs) The three prophets, Daddy one, Daddy two, Daddy three. The three wise daddies. Daddy in the Lion Pit. Which means something completely different in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, Rumple Daddy but, Skin. 
Yep, the famous Bible story, <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin. Rumple Daddy Skin, come on. Rumple Daddy Skin. Rumple Daddy Skin is the grossest combination of words. Rumple Daddy Skin. Where, where, does, the, where does the Ice King uh, come into all this? The Daddy Ice. Why do I feel like I've been drinking from the exhaust, the exhaust of a Dow chemical plant? <laughs> Daddy Ice invented Natty Ice, which now college kids drink for essentially free. Uh, so there's a trial. Uh, Dorothy wears a blonde wig and pretends to be Lorelai. Uh, takes off most of her clothes. Uh, the judge takes quite a long time to break that up, and then sings a reprise of "Diamonds Are a Girl Best Friend" to prove that she's Lorelai. But at the end, they're like, actually, the P.I. comes back, realizes it's, it's actually Dorothy, and it's like, I love you, kid. And then we kind of already talked about when Lorelai goes to Nerdlinger's dad and is like, hey, yeah, no, I'm trying to screw him out of money. And he's like, I respect that as a fellow capitalist and as a daddy. Um, and <laughs> daddy-like. Then, <laughs> daddy-like. Yeah. If, if, if you can't bring daddy to the mountain, bring the mountain to daddy. <laughs> 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 and then they all get married in a group ceremony like you do uh they get double married yeah will you mr daddy take this mrs daddy to be your lawful daddy mama i do people need to have daddy mamas <laughs> this is the last way i expected this conversation to go it's probably also the last episode of we love to watch <laughs> oh yeah because we're starting the daddy cast, retelling fam- famous biblical stories from the perspective of daddy. But making, but making sure we're bringing it home to daddy. <laughs> Let's get daddy involved in the action. Story of Abraham, sacrifice me, daddy. They cut daddy's hair and his strength went away. Haircut uh, daddy. Aaron, don't you find some of these stories about daddy to be a little implausible? Shut How your could daddy there have been mouth. that many daddies? <laughs> look, oh. da- look, Peter, there's a daddy in all of us. <laughs> you don't know about the miracle of the infinite daddies? <laughs> daddy begat daddy, which begat daddy, daddy and daddy, who begat daddy and daddy. You know, daddy. forgive me for saying this, Aaron, but this is turning into something really daddy, daddy-ess. God damn it, it only works as Daddest. Daddest. That's how I should have gone with it. <laughs> so Dad-est. I think we're out of time. Um, I we did predict early on that the word daddy would be said <laughs> frequently. I did I don't think any of us expected it to be the only word we said going forward. So, so this is gonna be like a smurf daddy? thing where like everything it's just gonna be like Daddy 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 Daddy. Well, fun fact, uh Peter's brother has a nickname for me that he coined. Um, when I believe Peter, it was a soft fuck daddy. <laughs> yeah, he was a soft fuck daddy. Yeah. <laughs> so I have then be uh, bequeathed uh, a new title by Peter's own flesh or bro- blood. His his daddy brother. Oh yeah, because uh, he's my older brother. He's, he's my older brother. daddy he's, brother. He's your daddy brother. Uh, and to call me, yeah, the soft fuck daddy. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to have my kids call me that. <laughs> probably. But I will continue to let Charlie Please, Moran I mean, don't close the door yet. 
Honestly, if I have them start calling that, they're going to close the door on me permanently, I think, Peter. <laughs> but Charlie Moran is always welcome. And then Daddy's to only going to be Daddy for one weekend a month. <laughs> Daddy's got someone that's going to be hanging out with us on our Daddy visits <laughs> And that's when I have to get a disguise and become Mrs. Daddy Fighter. <laughs> I'm your daddy. And I came up with that name because I read a newspaper where a daddy was set on fire. <laughs> Not because do I am get, in fact a like daddy a second, myself. Do you, do you get like a second belly on top of just the daddy belly? <laughs> oh, it was a drive-by daddy. <laughs> uh, you get like a special like partial partial flesh cap so you can make your male pattern baldness look like six months more advanced. <laughs> Oh, that's special daddy formula. <laughs> Daddy's got to have his juice. Give me that daddy juice. Daddy juice. Daddy legally distinct from the daddy juice that makes more daddies. Uh, so, final thoughts? Uh, yeah, so gentlemen wear blondes. <laughs> Gentlemen wear blondes? That's a, I think that's the porn version of this, Peter. Uh, oh, daddy. Okay, so in daddies prefer blondes. Blondes also apparently prefer daddy. Yeah, everyone loves daddy. Everyone loves daddy. And Raymond, who is a daddy. Well, yeah, so everybody loves daddy. Everybody loves daddy. Let's not be redundant over here. Daddy Barone. <laughs> Do you remember his brother? He's like, ah, your daddy. I I come over here and everybody loves daddy, but no one loves me. <laughs> Even though I am the big brother daddy. <laughs> and then the dad comes over, uh, daddy Peter Boyle, and he's like, I'm the real daddy here. <laughs> I was in Young Frankenstein. <laughs> I was the guy Joe in the movie Joe. I showed everyone in that movie who was daddy. I'm the daddy here. Make me some dinner, Marine, or whatever the non-daddy character's name was. It's Marie! <laughs> daddy! <laughs> okay, so... I mean, I, I might as well just have a note that just says daddy sucks. <laughs> I think I got like through. A, I think I got through all my notes. Actually, it just said "daddy" seven times. Yeah, most of my most of my most of my notes were about the Bible. <laughs> my note was just movie. one of those notebooks from Seven, but every page was just scribbled with daddy, "daddy, daddy." And I got through all my notes. All daddy and no daddy makes a daddy day. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, I like Marilyn Monroe. She's good. You know, D- uh, Marilyn Monroe is a uh, very uh, Marilyn Monroe is a very uh, dad focused, a daddy focused uh, actress. If you think about it, she's like she's like someone who like you'd grow up and like old old dudes would that like also kind of like motorcycles, but like never got one. Uh, those guys would always be like Marilyn Monroe. Now that was a lady. 
Not this Alanis Morissette. <laughs> it feels like it feels like you are thinking of a very specific person. Yeah. Uh, my neighbor Jeff. I feel Jeff. like your generalization took a very sharp turn. Jagged little pill. Give me a seven year itch any day of the week. <laughs> You ought to know I like bus stop. (laughs) Your hot lady fucked Dave Coulier. Oh, mine fucked Daddy. Joseph Miller. (laughs) Arthur Miller. Arthur Arthur Miller. The Crucible. (laughs) Who the fuck is Joseph Miller? Joe Miller. (laughs) I like my, uh, my musical stars did not fuck the cast members of Full House. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'd like them to fuck a Full House of daddies. But I would like them to preferably fuck the author of Death of a Salesman. <laughs> Let me run through the dads in Full House to rate them from daddy to not daddy. <laughs> The dad in depth of a salesman. Now there's a daddy. Can't even support his little his little future daddies anymore. While the dads in Full House were such a shitty daddy, they called him two backup daddies. Trying to form like a Voltron daddy, and they still fucking sucked. The Optimus Prime of daddies for me is Biff from Death of a Salesman. <laughs> Now that was a daddy who could throw a ball. <laughs> he's he's also from Cybertron. <laughs> Home of the daddies. Planet of daddies. But isn't it, okay, so isn't it weird to you that for the past 70 years, I don't know, uh, there have been 50s diners that have just been like, listen, <laughs> That poor woman that overdosed on drugs and died in a hotel room in a major tragedy, you'd fuck her, right? <laughs> what if they're like, all right, you know, you know the black Dahlia? <laughs> Before her life was drained of blood and left on the side of the road, not a drop to be seen. She can really turn some heads. I mean, they they did it to everyone in that era that died young. Like, James Dean, you'd fuck him, right? Yeah, you'd fuck him even if you were in the car he crashed in. You'd basically rewrite Crash to fuck him. (laughs) David Cronenberg's Crash. (laughs) But he was James Dean, America's sweetheart. Why is no one coming from a 1950s diner where I talk loudly about wanting to fuck dead people? Oh, yeah, I named the menu items off all the dead people you can fuck. Oh, look, here's uh, James Dean's missing leg. It's a chicken-based meal. Where is it? Who knows? You gotta search the restaurant and find a a, a very sad widow. <laughs> Not James Dean Widow. We get a new one in every week. And the Steve McQueen smoked chicken. <laughs> because he smoked himself to death. Anyway, we were watching a movie, I think. Yeah, yeah there's a movie about... Uh, I, I gotta tell you guys... 
I don't think we're recovering from this. So whatever you want to talk about, just uh, like go all right. Out. So like, if we're gonna talk about one thing from the movie, the song uh, "Diamonds Are Girls' Best Friend." Yeah, that sequence is pretty pretty impressive, and it's the sort yeah. of thing where uh, you ever watch these old movies and you're like, you've never let's say you've never seen them before, and you're like, oh, that's where that line came from, or that's where yeah that's yeah. Came. I couldn't predict from the beginning of this movie that that's where that song came from or where that song No, and the kind of iconic pink dress that goes along with it like that whole sequence is so Now I'm curious, did you did you see the the music video for Material Girl before you saw this movie? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. So did that like click into place for you? Uh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think eventually I was like, "Oh, oh, okay." And then like <laughs> for 30 years of pop culture made sense. I think if you're thinking of, like, iconic Marilyn Monroe moments, it's kind of this and the vent, right? Yeah, and even the like, vent, like, mostly exists in publicity photos. Yeah. I mean, it is in Because it's itch. so broken up in the actual movie for the seven-year itch. But, like, when you think of, like, a Marilyn Monroe moment, it's like, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend from this. Or The Seven Year Itch, which, I mean, I would say neither of those are her best movie. Some like it hot. Uh, she's really good in All About Eve as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but like, she is like, she, she's basically a cameo in uh, All About Eve. Yeah, true, true. So I was impressed back when I was doing like AFI stuff in like high school and college. I ended up watching a, a lot of Marilyn Monroe movies because a lot of them are on the, you know. Uh, the list. Immediate, like best, yeah, best laugh, especially the ba- best laugh list. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a lot of those. And, you know, I... I really came to appreciate what a good comedian she is. She gets so dinerized, we can call it, um, to, to kind of coin a, a way that Peter described it as like – and that's also like why a lot of people at the time – like if you look at some contemporary reviews of this, for example, you do have like some critics complaining about like, oh, they put Marilyn Monroe in it. Like she's like the – the it girl who who is known as someone who can't act, like based on their reviews, um, and you know, rewatching all these, you know, rewatching this movie now, seeing a lot of them, you know, fifteen years ago, I was always impressed at how like she had a, and she sells it really well. That kind of like the way that she acts for the first ninety percent of this movie, like she kind of had that that character of like, whoops, who me? Like I'm a good hearted person who is a little bit of a ditz. And stuff like that. Like, she's always had that going for her, but she is so good with her comic timing. And nothing sells that better than this movie where she has to, like, do that kind of rapid-fire dialogue where Dorothy will say something. And then she'll say something kind of stupid in response. But the timing on that and the way that she sells those moments are so well done. Mm -hmm. Like, every single one of those hits really well as like a fast talking like punchline that that goes by so quick and so perfect that you have to like rewind what you just said in in your head to really appreciate and get it. Yeah. Like she she knew what she was doing. Like and and she was gifted at it too. Yeah, it just feels like that part of her legacy is a little bit like overlooked, yeah. Gone. Yeah. Um it's kind of like what I think people have said like about like, you know, I guess a modern day equivalent would be like, you know, like Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, like still sometimes have a reputation as the people from the vampire movies when they've gone on to prove over and over again what like great actors they are. Mm-hmm. 
who knows 50 years from now, like how we're going to remember them, because at the end of the day, more people are going to have seen uh, Twilight than they are going to have seen like fucking the Rover or Personal Shopper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's a tough thing to, to sort of come back from. Yeah. And I think and I think that it's literally going to take another 10 years before people uh, you have to almost like win back the mainstream mm-hmm. to take back your image. Whereas like both of them are like, fuck that and ran and abandoned it. Right. Yeah, pretty um, much. Which, I mean, if you made all the money you needed and all these amazing directors wanted to work with you. Uh, it's like, fuck why it. Would yeah. You, why would you go back to just just to please a bunch of, of fickle audiences? Like, no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I think the way they're taking their careers, I mean, they, and they are both really good actors and they're, you know, in these great movies. But, you know, when you're looking back through the prism of pop culture, there's just nothing that's going to be as big as those movies were. Yeah. Years from now, will people like, will our, or will our future children be arguing about whether like no like Kristen Stewart Robert Pattinson they were actually these really good actors have you seen these little art house films or have you seen the Tostinos commercial yeah in the same way that I feel like people are like yes she was like someone who like you know Hollywood would reductively call a sex pot but like she wasn't just in movies because she was attractive she was extremely good and funny in the movies that she was in Mm mm-hmm so, we joked a lot about, yeah, the sexualizing of Marilyn Monroe earlier, mm-hmm. um, but I do, I am genuinely creeped out by the fact that this per- this woman suffered a, a horrible, a horrible tragedy. She, ba- she basically was dragged across ca- casting couches for years and years, and yeah. then she suffered a horrible drug addiction, and like, I thought, it was super anxious on set, and like, her career kind of imploded because she got more and more anxious because the movies needed to be mean more and more because her career was imploding. Like, the spiral just kept going. And well, then, like, a lot of direct- directors were huge assholes to her. Mm-hmm. They were like, felt like the studio would saddle them with her and then, you know, treat her like dirt. And then she would feel self-conscious about that fact because she wasn't a dumb person. She was aware yeah. of the fact that, like, she was being saddled with people that didn't care. And this was also in the studio era where these directors, like, there was no sense of, like, bonding with your co-star. No, yeah. It there was, was... It, it, Get in, get your fucking work done and go home. So, like, these directors treating them her, her particularly like shit uh, could really drag her down. Like, apparently her and Howard Hawks did this, – this, this is the second movie they did together. This, yeah. Apparently her and Howard Hawks did not get along well at all. It's a, it's a whole thing, but it does make this movie feel somewhat special because this was her on her rise – Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so this movie is a very specific time capsule to, you know, right after she felt a sense like she was getting out from under the thumb of these abusive assholes and that she can make a name for herself and that she didn't need, you know, like she didn't need to like give in to these casting couch assholes anymore, these like abusers. And this was, and you know, the abuse, she would still unfortunately suffer abuse in her career. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie came at a very important time in her career, and it comes across that way. It comes across as this hopeful and and uh, idealistic and really powerful movie where, like, she basically gets to own the screen. But, I mean, I don't want to – I don't want to uh, sideline her co-star either. Jane apparently Russell, they yeah. had a great – apparently they had a uh, really good relationship behind the set, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It sounds like even though they were paid, like – Marilyn Monroe was getting her typical rate, which was I, – I saw variable rates, but like $500 or $1,500 a, a week, something low. She was just getting her weekly 
we could yeah, she well she's second build in this movie yeah and then uh her co-star was getting paid something like two hundred thousand dollars for the just the movie and even in reviews of the time people would be like you know i don't really like I don't really like the these jokey girls, but uh, I really like the musical numbers. And this Marilyn Monroe kid, she's got something. Like, it is funny reading reviews at the time because you can read the sort of uh, the lack of, of hindsight. Um, yeah. And there is some sexism in the reviews of the time where, like, yeah, the reviewers are clearly uncomfortable with how funny Jane Austen is. J- well, Jane Myth. Jane, Jane Russell. Jane, Jane Russell. There we go. They're very <laughs> funny. Uh, J- how, Jane Austen uh, Jane is also Russell's. funny. <laughs> Jane Austen, also funny. But a little dead at this point. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just slightly. You're right that, like, Jane Russell was the biggest, bigger star at the time. But, like, when it comes to, like, looking over her filmography, like, this is the movie I know her most from? Well, and then, like, you have the whole, like, yeah, the whole You Must Remember This series where where Karina Longworth really gets into, or is that really more in the book? Not sure. I am well behind. Like I, I remember. Like I know she goes over a lot in in the book. Yeah. You know, like there, there's multiple reasons why like her career kind of like never was what it should have been. Yeah, and I, I mean that's definitely probably the case for unfortunately a lot of people mm-hmm. at that time. There is. Uh, so I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper. So into the. You're right, Peter. Like, when they start out, they just seem like co-workers who don't really like each other. One of my favorite parts of this movie is when Dorothy and Lorelai realize that the P.I. is a P.I. Mm-hmm. And is trying to screw Lorelai. And then they start concocting, like, plans and schemes together. And that's, like, the first sense that you have of, of these two people as, like, good friends who support each other. And that's followed later by Dorothy when someone makes fun of Lorelai. She's like, no, no, no. She's my best friend. She's awesome as a person. I can make fun of Lorelai. You can't make fun of Lorelai. Mm-hmm. You don't know her. Uh, and so I really like the way that that, um, that is portrayed. And it's, 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 in, it's not surprising to find out that they got along in real life because they feel like old friends. There's a lot of chemistry screen. there and you yeah. don't feel like they're vying for the screen. Um, even though no. uh, I think uh, the, at the time, the tabloids and the producers would have loved these two to have been competitive and, and you know, push each other around and try and fight for screen time because, like, it's good drama, right? Like, mm-hmm. people love on-screen feuds. It would have been great tabloid fodder, but it, they, they didn't give them that. And uh, that is my one, if we're going to talk about <laughs> talk about that, the relationship between Dorothy and the P.I. is like... The fact that it works out and that he that she ends up marrying him is like ridiculous to me. There's, yeah, there's he's they have no chemistry whatsoever. He's charmless. This movie should end with Lorelai and Dorothy being like basically back where the beginning of the movie started, but wiser. Like, well, didn't work out with those two guys. Whatever. Not On the road again. Yeah, exactly. Just like, well, back at it. Um, I do kind of feel like Dorothy knows that because she kind of hates him. And then keeps saying, like, I think I kind of like him, though. And, like, seems very frustrated by that. There's nothing romantic so, about it to me. No, but I think there is just, like, because her thing of love is just, like, someone who she enjoys being around, has fun with, and is, like, attractive. And when he first steps into the room, uh, she's like, holy shit, who's this hot guy? Which is <laughs> kind of funny to look at now, but whatever. Standards Things have changed. Have changed. Standards have changed. I mean, it kind of meets... 
her definition, even if she kind of acknowledges what a dickhead he is. But I, I agree. She's so, like, fun and strong-willed and, like, just knows exactly who she is as a person. And, like, one of my favorite sequences of this movie is the – is the is there anything for love? What is that called? Anyone for is love? Anyone, anyone here for love? Yeah. Where she's, like, walking through – Court's free. The, re- the relay team, you know, and, like, admiring their muscles and – helping them exercise and like that's such a fun sequence and her whole reaction to the relay team is so much fun just like ooh, thank you for getting me a present and and then inviting them all to a party that she organizes and it like it's just this this fun like i know who i am and what i like and it does feel like her thing should have been i don't want to settle down ever and so you're right peter like it does feel a little weird that like this fucking dickhead who has been nothing but the worst and, of course, like, shittily misogynist and a little abusive. and a Forces sexual, a kiss know. on her, too. Yeah. Uh, like, all that stuff. Well, Grant just grabs her by the arm and shakes her at one point, too. Yeah. That she's like, I guess I love the old lug. Like, that sucks. <laughs> Do you think back then men were just so, uh, so reserved that all of a sudden it was, like, the fact that he, like, actually expressed some kind of emotion? She was like, gee, he must really like me. He's not dead inside. Uh, it, it, there's actually, like, the thing in the book is that because of all her experiences, Dorothy kind of, like, is attracted to men who don't pay her attention or, like, treat her particularly well. That is true. Like, that and, is true. And it, it's funny because, like, watching the movie after having read the book, it, it comes through a lot clearer, but I don't know, like, how clear it is in the movie without that knowledge. Yeah, it, it wasn't particularly clear to me, but I mean, I could like there, there's just some of there's a lot of this movie that's kind of like muddled a little bit. Yeah, and there's 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 the movies of this era can very often leave stuff up to interpretation in such a way that in, invites reinterpretation over the years and mm-hmm. invites invites uh you know a modern audience to to jump in. Whereas, you know, movies from certain eras, it's kind of like a take it or leave it thing, right? Like, movies from the 70s can be very direct and very much, very much pointed uh, on their, their political points. And, uh, yeah, there's like, there's points. one answer. Yes, yes. And you know how the creators felt. In this movie, I don't know how the creators felt because uh, they're approaching the gender stuff at an angle that's just so. It, they're just not cons- they're they're just not talking in the same language that we talk in in, in a modern day, right? Yeah. Like the, and I don't mean just like the actual terminology. I just mean like the way they approach gender issues is like completely different than. Well, I, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know that they're approaching it from like the same way that Anita Luce is approaching it in the book. No, Howard Hawks is a dude who made a lot of very masculine movies and made a lot of westerns, mm-hmm. and like he probably just liked the idea of, and of two pretty women having fun and singing yeah. some musical numbers, and he probably liked the idea of making money. So he, uh, <laughs> I think he definitely liked the idea of making money. Yeah, and <laughs> so and his and the that, screenwriter is some other like dude. Yeah, so there's a lot of there. Could, there could theoretically be a lot of static between the inter- the intent of the author and the intent of the uh, the the movie. Yeah. So I don't I don't want to get in the weeds on that too much, but like, th- there's something charming about the fact that so it, it's such a brisk movie, mm-hmm. 
and it leaves it leaves you enough room to sort of work within and, and enough room to actually reinterpret things because the movie is intentionally vague on gender gender issues. Yeah, you can walk away with it and see it sort of like as this like really early feminist masterpiece. You can walk away from it and see like all of the problems from the era. The fact that this movie is shot on Technicolor also helps smooth over a mm-hmm. lot of the um, the discomfort of certain scenes because, like, it's just such a a feast for the eyes. Oh yeah, the the, the colors are just insane in this movie. It, it's kind of hard yeah. to get offended when it looks that unreal. And the, and the, yes, exactly the unreal the unreality of it helps make it feel like a comedy. Like the black and white of certain. Um, Certain comedies of this era can actually make them feel more um, dramatic, dramatic than they they actually are. But shooting this in Technicolor adds it a sort of fun flippancy that that allows you to sort of smooth over some of the um, the rougher lines, like when. But also, the movie couches itself so well in the end. Anything that you don't like about Lorelai, you could basically because of what happens in the end, you could be like, oh, that was a put on to like. Attract, yeah. an, uh, attract a uh, a mark. It was a like, it was a phantom a threat. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving him what he wants. Yeah, she's because uh, we love each other. Yeah, she's she's essentially just it's a con man thing in some sense, but in another sense, it's like it is actual her what she wants out of a romantic relationship is this, and she's providing it. She's never been anything but honest with, uh, you know, yeah, the guy with everyone. She tells everyone exactly what she wants, and then people yeah. are like, well, no, she's going to be someone else for me, and then it doesn't work out for them. Huh. It's weird. It's almost like I should listen to women when they tell them exactly what they want in a relationship. I also I yeah. also love the, the really, like, the really cartoony uh, bit where she meets Piggy for the first time, and, yeah. and his head, like, his head gets superimposed with a diamond on it. <laughs> um, my, my favorite gag in the movie is... When she realizes that she's been photographed with Piggy, mm-hmm. and she describes like, well, he was telling me about like the time a broken <laughs> got wrapped around like a deer, and I was the deer, and, and she's like, and I was the deer, and then that is like a great callback when you see the picture <laughs> later on, which is like this weird could only look like someone's like embracing in a bear hug right before you fuck, <laughs> um. It is. It's excellent. That's my favorite, like, one-two gag. Another, another great bit is, uh, I, I love everything with the kid, but uh, I especially love when they get to the table and Lorelai realizes that the initial she thought, like, was for, like, she misread the manifest. <laughs> she assumed he was a daddy. Uh, but, like, and then, like, when he shows up when she's trying to sneak out of Piggy's room and she's stuck in the porthole. Yeah, and he's like, can you help me? I will help you for two reasons. One, I am a kid and will not get in any trouble with the law. Two, there is something animalistic about you that I find appealing. <laughs> yeah, he said, he said one, uh, I'm too young to be sent to jail. The second is that you have a lot of animal magnetism. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. And, uh, animal magnetism is the sort of thing that I haven't heard in like 15 years. So it got a genuine cackle out of me. Like very specific antiquated phrases pulled out of the blue is enough to make me, me, uh, me giggle a lot. That's really, I mean, looking over my notes... That's all I have. <laughs> like, it, it's not a movie. Like, it's a movie you, you sort of get sucked into. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, gentlemen may prefer blondes, but I think Aaron prefers wrap-up thoughts. <laughs> um, so my wrap-up thought for gentlemen prefer blondes is <laughs> Which that, is definitely uh, a thing we discussed today. Yeah, which is definitely something we discussed in detail. 100%. We, 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 I would say if you were to listen to this episode and measure of it, <laughs> me- measure the whole thing, I bet we do talk about gentlemen prefer blondes slightly more than we do the daddies of the Bible. <laughs> just slightly, though. Just. Get us off just on a technicality. Um, oh, those daddies got off. <laughs> daddies get off. Daddies always get off. <laughs> Remember when I spent half this episode just the hopelessly cackling? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. <laughs> I like. I also like getting. I like. I like getting off on a technicality. As if you're like, ah, I came, and she's like, why? You're like, well, because you were having sex with me. Technically, technically, <laughs> I got off. Yeah, on a technicality. You see, I I did something illegal, but there was a loophole in the law, and so I don't have to serve any prison time. Also, I creamed in my pants. Because I got off on that technicality. Um, my wrap-up thoughts are, uh, one of the most fun parts about this movie is that I couldn't track it because I kept expecting it to lean into a rom-com at some point. Mm-hmm. And it just never, it never did. Oh, it's, it's not end, a rom-com like, at all. Yeah. And at the end, they're like, I guess this was a rom-com <laughs> for like eight seconds. Um, and that's what made it so much fun is because it's ultimately just about two friends who are out in the world doing what they want to do and trying to pull off an amazing con. Uh, and uh, that's that's kind of what made it more magical to me because so many of these classic era movies, you're like, all right, you got two beautiful women. We just got to get two hunks in there. Then we're going to watch them not get along for a little bit and then really get along. And then maybe at the end they have a fight about something. And then there's and then there's like a just a last scene where they all sing together and they get married or whatever. No, like the- typical sort of story structure. Um, I was expecting that. Instead, it's like this. It is. It is very like episodic. It's. It's like well, uh, now that we're we're gonna go get on this boat now, and then there's like a couple episodes, a couple adventures on the boat, and then uh, <laughs> then then they get back to the states, and they're like, ah, uh, well, let's uh, let's do another show, and then you're like, oh, I guess this guy's gonna show up. It has this sort of fun rollicking energy that, as long as it doesn't lose sight of the two leads, the two friends, uh, it stays charming and i think that's the best pitch for it yeah so this movie's great i really like it i was um i was i'm pleasantly surprised that you ended up liking this peter i really thought this could go both ways you know because it's it's not a five-star movie for me it is like a a solid four-star like it's 90 minutes it's extremely enjoyable that's where i'm at i love dorothy and lorelei in this movie you know some of the songs are like iconic for their time there's not much here from a musical, like, I'm going to be humming to myself. Uh, mine is, like, Diamonds Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend is the one that, like, is the most, like, earwormy. But even as we get into stuff like, you know, Singing in the Rain or West Side Story, like, I just feel like the, the songs are a little bit more um, memorable and, like, catchy and will have you humming them and singing them to yourself. Sometimes annoyingly so. Um, but this is just, like, one of those 50s musicals... Um, that you sometimes don't even realize is a musical that has a lot of fun, lavish production numbers shot in gorgeous Technicolor. Uh, and it's just a really, really breezy, fun 
movie and it was kind of the perfect like well we're doing the gene kelly we're doing the fred astaire we're doing the big giant 60s epic musicals like what's another thing from this era that fits in and i think this is kind of the the epitome of that that kind of like you wouldn't even know it's a musical until you realize oh yeah there are six or seven songs in this but like primarily it's a really fun vehicle for two great comedians um to and to to have a lot of fun on screen anthony why don't you wrap it up and wrap it out and get it off uh, well, I think it's a great movie for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. I, th- I think it's really sharp. Uh, there's a lot of really good satire here. Uh, the it gets by on the lead on the chemistry of its leads. The romantic stuff does not like matter at all, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, it doesn't work, and they don't ask you to care about it. Right? Like, yeah, <laughs> the the men the men in this movie basically like have the role that women have in most other movies. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, and it's just delightful. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a breezy, light way to start this month because the next three movies I think we're doing are really like a little more iconic in the sense that like these were the musical of their era. Uh, and that starts next week with Singing in the Rain with guest Casey Giltner, West Side Story with guest Rachel Graff, and wrapping it up with a two for Top Hat and Pennies from Heaven with David Clark. This is uh this is kind of a weird start to the month, but Anthony, we had a blast with you as always. I had so much fun, even though I <laughs> completely torpedoed this episode. Uh, no, I think I think people will want to know about the lineage of all the daddies from the Bible, and if they were just looking at our back catalog of episodes, I think they would rightfully assume it would be on this episode. So I think I think we're giving the people what they want, daddy wise. Peter, what's your daddy take? My daddy take is that people come for the gentlemen, <laughs> but they, they stay for the daddies. <laughs> oh, they come for the daddies too, Peter. Yeah. And they're here for the daddies. Couldn't agree more. Star yeah. Trek. That's what you call it. I couldn't agree less either, but I couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the weirdest episode we've ever released. <laughs> Uh, thank you for joining us. Tune in next week when we might co- talk about come slightly less. But who knows, to be honest. It's a whole new daddy. Good night. We're all somebody's daddy. Good night. She needs to take it. She can love it. I just wish I could open listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you 
There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.